Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here at Cloud Wars Live, where we explore customer-centric business innovation by speaking with the dynamic companies making and using the modern technologies that are profoundly changing how the world works, lives, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is Christian Anschutz, Chief Digital Officer at ULLC, formerly Underwriters Laboratories, traditionally known as a product testing and safety icon. With big contributions from Christian, UL has undergone some incredible changes over the past few years, and those adventures will form the heart of this podcast conversation. Christian, welcome to the Cloud Wars Live podcast, and thanks very much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here, and uh, thank you for the very, very nice introduction. Of course, I think it would, uh, doesn't begin to scratch the surface of who you are, but I hope that in this conversation, people get to know a little bit more here. Well, I might not begin to scratch the surface, but it sure was generous, so I'll take the generosity. So. <laughs> All right. Chris, just to get us going, I know probably everybody imaginable has had some interaction with the UL brand, the UL experience. But probably a lot of folks had known it as Underage Laboratories. Could you just tell us a little bit about the journey from Underage Laboratories to UL and, you know, through your twin perspectives or paired perspectives of first CIO and now chief digital officer? Well, you really go for the throat of the topic, don't you? That's, that's, <laughs> like, that's like huge. So I know we only have a limited time, and, and I could spend hours talking about the, the company that I work for and serve, uh, UL. I'll try and be brief, and then I'll, I'll address your second question. So UL, for all your listeners that uh, are unfamiliar with the brand, UL is the brand we all in America and, and increasingly around the world really rely on, and yet often fail to realize what it is. And UL is best known by that, that those two letters in a circle. And you would see it on virtually every product. You would see it on uh, small appliances, large appliances, fire control systems and whatnot. What it meant is that this company that leads in independence and trust have tested the product to make sure that it conforms with everything it needs to conform with from a product safety, performance, and increasingly now security and sustainability uh, regulations and requirements. And, and you see that mark, you know, Bob, you might be surprised, you might not that mark today goes on 26 billion products every single year. 26, that's with a B, 26 billion <laughs> products every year. And wow. that's the scope of the amount of things that we look at and ensure that, Bob, right now, I, I guarantee you, you're, you're working on a computer that's been somehow worked on by UL. You're sitting at uh, in a house that's got a fire alarm that's protected by it and the fire extinguisher. And you probably use a phone that the, the mobile transactions that you conduct on it uh, regarding finances are also secured by this company. So it's got this huge width and breadth to it. It's, it was traditionally in fire and shock. Uh, it's now expanded into so many fascinating areas because our job, our mission is to ensure that technology enters the world, all technology, not just high tech, but technology enters the world so it does more good than harm. And that's what we do. And we do that across a broad spectrum of things. And that's at 26 billion plus marks or labels we put on products every single year. So wow. that's a, it's a bit of the, the company. And uh, I serve as the chief digital officer for this uh, fantastic company. I was the CIO. I made the pivot as our firm matured sort of internally from a technological perspective. We hit a pivot point some years ago and said, look, our future is increasingly delivering what we do today technologically and delivering entirely new things in new value domains technologically. And so IT, which is very, very often 
not always, but very often sort of internally focused around, you know, sort of driving internal efficiencies. We're seeing that the value we're going to contribute to society, to our countries, to our communities is going to be delivered increasingly technologically, mm-hmm. empowered yeah. by amazing people, subject matter experts, scientists, etc., and done at a scale we've never been able to dream of before, simply because now we can apply technology that could make this way more available to even more people, even more than 26 billion times on products every single year. So did that answer your question more or less? Yeah, of course. I I knew you'd have a good stat of some sort in there because 26 billion, that's getting in the range of what, 80, 90 million a day. So the impact, the touch, the presence of what UL does is just astonishing. Yeah, and it's such an important company. I mean, again, I'm not saying this as someone who, who works for the company and it's not because I'm drawing a paycheck. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. I'm not saying this because I draw a paycheck from the company. I actually say this because what the company does is important and I want to work for a company that, by the way, then gives me a paycheck. So that's a fundamental different way of thinking, by the way, for a lot of us. This company is important because there has to be an independent third party that you can trust in these very critical areas because we know, and this is kind of the subject of, uh, or should be a subject of like 10 of your podcasts, we know that fundamentally trust in major institutions has decreased over the last number of years, and there's no line of sight for that to improve anytime soon. So there has to be some firm, some bulwark, some, some institutions that no matter what, you can always go, look, they're independent. They have our best interests in mind, and by God, they're going to tell us all the truth, good, bad, or indifferent. And that's the space that this company occupies. And when it pertains to products, and we say, look, this meets the standard. We put our integrity and 120-plus year legacy behind every single one of those statements. Christian, that's a great sort of quick overview of the company. And before we go a little bit more into what UL's been doing and how it's going on and the, the path to digital in there. I do want uh, our audience to be able to understand a little bit about you as well. So let me put it this way. You left active duty from the United States Marine Corps as a captain. And as you've said before, you, you know, once a Marine, always a Marine. So I think you just say, you know, we leave active duty, but we remain Marines. That's Could you right. just talk a little bit about, uh, Christian, how those experiences in the Marine Corps all the different things you did there from active duty and combat and so on, how those shaped your ability to be a private sector leader and innovator. And at the same time, somebody who's extremely humble and talks about things like the, I want to work for a company that I believe in and I align with its values. You are the expert at asking the, the really big, <laughs> the big questions. So. Oh yeah. And you have 10 words or less, please, for your answer. Yeah. <laughs> I, then I'd have to say pass. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'd be unable to do that. I, I wish I could be that uh, succinct. Let me go to a quote. So there, there's a, a very famous quote by a person, a uh, very well-read person, at least in military terms. And yet I think we all will know, recognize the name. It's Carl von Clausewitz. Mm-hmm. And he had a quote that is essentially, and I, I think this is right, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. And this is something that's so fundamental in the military where it's planning, 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 then there's an action. And as soon as something happens, much of what you thought, much of what you assumed is now different. And now you're reacting. And, and the reason why I bring this up is because that describes business perfectly. I have yet to ever see like something come out of a, a PowerPoint out of a headquarters of some large organization. <laughs> it actually is you know, hugely beautiful and powerful and fundamentally changes the world. 
Yeah. Rather, it's the, it's the unit commanders, the people that understand the intent of the headquarters, the intent, right? That's such an important word. Not the, not the micromanaging details, but understand the intent and then can take that intent and then adapt that intent to the on the ground truth of what's happening in the marketplace, what's happening with our customers specifically, what specific problems are manifesting with our customers and then adapting to it, helping to address them, creating value building businesses. The, the parallels are uncanny, actually. And, and while so many people think the military is command and control, command and control, command and control, uh, you know, I got to tell you, I, I've served in both the United States Marine Corps and corporate America. And generally speaking, corporate America is way more hierarchical and it's way more command and control. The military generally understands the concept of intent better. And organizations like UL that deal in intent which better than most is one of the th reasons why the company is, is really kind of progressing so well and it's, it's really growing so healthily. But anyway, that's, that's one of the things I, I really learned from the military that I brought forward into my private sector career and, and really benefited from. Christian, great stuff there. And you know, we're going to come back to that in just a minute here and, uh, because it, I think it informs so much about your leadership because, right, in a way you describe yourself as an entrepreneur, an innovator, and a creator, which you've been, yet there has been something about the UL culture, the UL challenge, and the UL experience that's led you to stay there for, you know, a non-trivial number of years. So there's, there's really got to be some magic going on there, right, on this adventure that you've been through with them. You know, it's a corporation of people. And like a corporation of people, it has many of the same people dynamics. The one thing you can count on from a number of firms and, and some of the very best, like a UL, is that there is a pretty clear alignment between your work and some purpose that's greater than you. I know it sounds kind of corny. I mean, you know, that nope, nope. everyone's always like, oh, you know, the only thing that matters to me is, my, is, is how big my paycheck is. And that's actually true for some people for some period of time. But research shows that the number one thing that motivates people is something other than, than just compensation. And I would argue that one of the primary things is that there's some real tangible value that people get out of the work that they do and the purpose that they contribute to. We only have to look at the fact that compensation out of the top five things that motivate people in a company, compensation usually comes in around number four, I think was the last time I saw it. It might be even number five. I'm, I'm unsure. It's certainly not one, two, or three. And there's a real difference about UL and that this is a company that has a, a mission for humanity. It is very commercially aggressive. It's got the balance between the two. You can do something really fantastic in the world, generate value and make money around it. And when you can find a firm like that, that's the kind of firm that you want to kind of grab onto, hold onto, and maybe even build a career around. Yeah. The, the, the purpose-driven career. Christian, Talk a little bit, please, about, you know, you've described here about the opportunity forward for UL. It's been so successful in the past in more so the physical world, but you're talking about now even at a scale of 26 billion marks per year or your mark on products per year and the ability through digital to really scale that. So what's been the impact of, uh, I'll say, a couple types of technology on what UL has been able to do. Some of the things you've done with the transformation using some cloud technology and also then, you know, big data, some of the other wild things you're off into. Well, so uh, if I just take a, a slight step back, Bob, and, and, and kind of reiterate just a little bit that, you know, this company 
maintains this space of of being a leader in the trust industry for all the in all the areas that we we provide services and create value and we do that from the perspective of being independent and from leading from the perspective of science so you know science is it's like math right you you can if someone puts a 1 plus a 1 in in front of you we can all agree that it's 2 Right. And this is kind of important, especially in this day and age, because, you know, even some some of science is sometimes questioned. Right. Some, you know, yeah. some you know basic uh, scientific premises is, is, is sometimes questioned. But it, it's a combination of our independence plus this leadership in science and that leadership from science and that independence. That is purely people. It's a very good people, very much dedicated to our our mission and our purpose as a company. And yet. How do you scale that? Now, we've scaled very nicely and grown into a multi-billion dollar enterprise over the years, and, and it has scaled nicely. Can you scale it even more? Can you give a broader platform for that voice of the independence, that voice of science to reach more and more people? And the answer is yes. You can enable it through an entirely new innovative business models that are underpinned by entirely new or maybe not so new, but you know, uh, increasingly viable technological options. And so what we're doing is we're figuring out how we keep what makes us so great, that independence, that, that science, and give a really a, a technological loudspeaker to, so that every corner of the world right, yeah, can, yeah. Can, can understand what we mean when we say, this kind of chemical could mean this kind of thing to this kind of person in this context. And get down and get that granular. Not just say that this chemical is always good or this chemical is always bad. Most chemicals have use cases that they're absolutely perfect for. Yeah. Other chemicals could be very harmful if treated improperly. How do we make sure people understand across the whole of the world which is the right chemical at the right time for the right job used by the right person? Yeah, and then partway right, from your journey, I think around the time when you and I first met was you were trying to start to build that scale and build that innovation platform. Uh, as you looked at the company, some of the, the processes, the more analog processes, some of the more traditional types of enterprise technology, they were good for their time. But as you were going forward, you needed to come up with a new model, a new approach. And you, you did a pretty radical thing, right? End to end, moving to the cloud with a lot of the business processes and apps at UL. Yeah, yeah that's, that's accurate. Yep. And, you know, if I could expand on that just for a second, Bob, I would say, and this is true for us, and I think this is true for most, most organizations, the, one of the greatest strategic assets, strategic capabilities any firm can build is intellectual and organizational agility. It's a true nimbleness. And what these technologies allow us to do, especially as we continue to build more and more platform capabilities across UL to, you know, again, give a broader voice, a broader capability, set of capabilities to UL to deliver more value to our customers. It allows us to move into new areas more quickly. It allows us to address new and emerging problems that we never thought we could even look at. It's because, partly because now, as a result of our effort, we're pulling in and taking a deeper, harder look at larger and larger bodies of information that are helping us go, wow, we weren't even aware that was a question that needed to be answered. Yeah. Now, yeah. we understand the question, and we might actually even start to have the very beginnings of an answer. Let's poke into this a little bit more. Let's explore that. Right. And, and by the way, let's do it in a market driven approach. Let's explore that 
with our customers. Let's make sure that we're onto something. Oh, and let's take that another step, Bob. Let's not just explore that with them in terms of them giving us feedback. Let's explore how we solve the problem together, a, a real radical collaboration, if you will. Chris, in your first comment there from Von Clausewitz about the plans change when the first action takes place and you get out with UL, you've already sort of re-energized the company internally. You take those capabilities and those possibilities out to your customers. And for whatever you think that outcome might be, once you get in and start banging up against each other and ideas fly, right? That's that thing you were just described a moment ago, entirely new eye-opening things come forward. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. That is right. And I think so much today, that's where we're sort of getting out of this notion of the old-fashioned view of you got your, in the tech industry, right? You got your tech suppliers or vendors, and over here, you got buyers. And one person pushes a box out into the middle. The other throws a bag of money out into the middle. Each grabs the thing it, it's going to take away. And then you head for the hills and uh, try not to ex- extend that the old-fashioned transaction anymore that it wants to be. But is you know you and I have talked over time, what you're saying today, it's interactions and collaborations build around this sense of trust that you've described. And I loved how you described that thing of, how do you build up, how do you scale up this intellectual and organizational agility? And that's got to be something that's tremendously liberating and exciting for your customers, right? They're, they're looking for the, that, those same sort of scale-up capabilities as well. Oh, that's, that's exactly right. And it is such a difficult thing, if you think about it, because on one hand, you, you have to spin up these new capabilities. They're technological, to some extent, right? They enable completely new business models, right? And and they allow for this really different collab, this radical collaboration with the market and with your customers. And then at the same time, you talked about the sort of the the existing or the transactional businesses, you know, that, that exist for everybody. Every every company has its legacy, right? And even the powerhouses, the Facebook and the Microsofts and whatnot, they they have their own internal legacies. And that's a that's a sub subject in a, maybe in a minute. Companies have to get Really, really, in my opinion, this is, just, this is Christian's opinion, I think companies have to get really focused on creating two operating models. One operating model, you know, these are for the existing, for the incumbents, right? And the incumbents yeah. need to survive, right? And the incumbents are where so much of our energy and our, and our, our money as societies and countries go and is, and is created. The incumbents have to have the operating model that runs the, the business today, but create a separate operating model that really fosters uh, you know, this different way of thinking that you were describing, right? Because often it's it's very, very difficult to take an existing operating model and say, okay, go ahead and be flexible. Go ahead and be innovative. And they're like, what does flexible mean? What does innovative mean? Right? You know, it, yeah. they're very smart. These are very capable people in all these organizations, right? It's not that they're not smart, but they're the systems and the models they operate in are usually at odds, at least at times, I would even argue most of the time at odd with an operating model that is much more exploratory, which is much more pushing out into innovative business models and whatnot. And that's why, you know, so many companies struggle with, you know, forwarding off these really fast moving disruptors. And Chris, it's almost like if within a company, if you can get some of those wise leaders who are able to look at some and say, hey, you know what? We're our two operating models, we got that set up. They're not enough at odds. We're not creating the right sort of breakaway tension here. We're, we're not pushing hard enough on the outside. We're still constrained yeah. by where we've been instead of where we're going. 
That's right. As you described this, and you talked some about the existing operating model and then concurrently or simultaneously building the new operating model, did UL face that type of challenge? And if so, how'd you deal with that? Well, again, UL is, is, is an organization of people and as a, as a company that's been around for a long time, you know, it has a very solid operating model. It's very, very effective. It has been growing very, very well. And this is against, you know, industry uh, benchmarks. This company has been performing very well. It's got a great balance sheet. It is a really strong company and it exists because it's got a very sound operating model. The workforce is, is excellent. The culture is fantastic in so many ways. And, and it's got a lot of assets that it brings to bear, of which, and of which is, you know, the, its operating model. Yet, is that operating model necessarily well-suited to spin off entirely new businesses that are exploring entirely different sort of activities altogether that are mm-hmm. obviously aligned with the mission and the purpose and whatnot? And I would say the answer has been no. Actually, the, um, the existing businesses are on a track and they continue down their track, right? And they grow, they grow nicely. Let's say they're growing at 5 to 10% every year, 5 to 10%. And they're growing very, very nicely, very, very profitably. And yet, are there not opportunities to create something that could grow 30%, mm-hmm. grow 60%, to create entirely new markets, Mm-hmm. Right. What about, you know, being a category creator? You know, a, a mutual friend of ours talks about category creation. Yeah. There's a reason why Amazon says that they don't even think that they have a TAM. There's no just there's no top line addressable market for them. It's because they're so nimble. They're so flexible. They can go anywhere. That's a different mindset, especially for, you know, um, long time incumbents. They have to you know maybe think a little bit different. Well, they do have to think differently. I'm, I'm being soft in my words and I should avoid that. They have to think differently. They have to act differently. The notion of uh, innovation, you know, I said, you got to innovate. And then you, people go, what is innovate? Well, okay. Then you got to take more risks. And they're, okay, well, what does that mean? What you're really saying is you've got to really start rewarding failure. Uh-huh. And that's something uh-huh. most operating models aren't really good at. Ask yourself, yeah. Bob, you've, you've worked for some big firms. When have you yeah. ever been in a room where everybody got together and said, oh, hey, Joe or Jane, they really, wow, <laughs> tried. Uh, that was a miss. Boy, <laughs> well, you swung and you whiffed. I mean, that was terrible. Uh, by the way, nice job. <laughs> yeah. um, that's, that's a different kind of behavior. And if you're failing to really kind of think about that as part of like your, your, your M.O., right, your, your, your fundamental behavior, then you're probably really not going to be as innovative as you, you, you want to be. And in some cases, if you're unable to do that, you might actually be doing innovation theater. And that's okay for a little while till people start to look behind the curtain, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the screen, but sooner or later, somebody's going to. Well, the, the real problem is it's not that, you know, your own, you look behind your own curtain, you go, yeah, this is theater. The problem is the time you're wasting. Yeah. Because in the time you're wasting, if you're in a healthy market and creating value, someone's going to figure out that they want a piece of that. Or they might actually not even want a piece of it. They might be solving for another problem. And oh, by the way, you know, you just become a casualty of their you know, foray into this new market because now everybody's like, oh, my God, instead of doing this thing we've always done, we could actually do this thing instead. And, you know, there, there's so many examples of industries being crushed as not as, and Amazon does this all the time, not because they're being targeted, just because they're collateral damage, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a, that frame of mind that you're talking about. How, does, how do you think about the situation? How do you think about the opportunity? What's your, you know, your assessment of risk and how well is it either pushed away or embraced? And 
the mutual friend you you've mentioned, Chris Lockhead, uh, was on with us last week, and he was telling. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's great. Oh, that was a, it. Was a treat. And uh, one of the things that Chris was talking about, he said, you know, these are the days. He said when real entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs, said fall in love with the problem, and he said there's not there's no longer really room or tolerance for companies that fall in love with the solution because the solution is temporary. The problems are often enduring. And I just thought, Christian, that was such an interesting mindset. And it gets back to some of what you're saying. Are we so internally focused that we lose sight of what is taking place in the real world? And it's going to happen no matter how polished our presentations are and no matter how how much we've reviewed and double-checked and triple-checked our internal projections, right? Unless we can build a model that is driven by and wildly attuned to the outside world, we are, we're on a, uh, an increasingly short walk to oblivion. Well, I, I fully agree with all that. And uh, it's hard to disagree with uh, the likes of uh, you and uh, Mr. Luck. <laughs> hey, by the way, this must be a lot easier podcast because with me, you don't have to blow, bleep out every fifth word, right? That's... <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, producer Bill and I had talked about that with uh, Chris beforehand. So we, we set a couple ground rules with him. But it was, it was more like uh, not gratuitous. He said, okay, I'll try to limit it to two or three percent. So I... I, I... <laughs> I think it did fairly well. Uh, and so it to be on that one, when we get these up on the site, we're going to put, you know, hey, uh, caution, lively, lively language ahead here. But Christian, I wanted to ask you too. Now, there, there are a couple other things uh, and that I wanted to be sure we touched on here. I'm trying to think of the right order for this. You tell me. So I want to ask you on the one hand, what's next for you and your team? And second, I, or first, I also wanted to ask you, life outside UL, and I'd love to hear you talk about Project Relo. Which which order do you want to go at those things on? Well, you know, the the second and third question are the same thing, right? So what's outside of UL and what's Project Relo? That's pretty much Project Relo sort of fills all the space for me that uh, that UL doesn't consume. That's not sort of, you know, my personal time, uh, which is actually a pretty scarce commodity. Um, yeah. Let's yeah. start with the. Let's start with what's next at UL. With, you know, for the team. So, you know, from a from a, a company perspective, this company is getting increasingly inquisitive, increasingly aggressive of moving into these digital spaces. We've been making some really fantastic investments, organically and inorganically, and some of the capabilities we're building are really fascinating. And what we're working on is bringing together the capabilities we've uh, created and some additional ones that we are both building and then looking to maybe add on through some really key and strategic partnerships and bring to bear the, the full might of a company that sits in the center of those at those 26 billion transactions, right? Yeah. To, to really start providing more than just the utterly critical activity of, of helping products, you know, safely get to markets and safely get into customers and consumers' hands. We're moving into this perspective we've created to help products. How do they stay in the market? How do they stay longer in the market? What new mechanisms are there to indicate that there could be a potential problem? I mean, think of, think of our consumers now 
as as the sensors, right? And how are how is that information being used to inform uh, retail and manufacturing processes and activities? And and UL is really pushing into this space, and it's going to be very very fascinating and create a lot of value, uh, not just for the companies we serve, but again for our communities and our societies. What's this Project Relo thing? So uh, this is where I would you know, sort of a shameless plug for something that uh, I really believe in. Project Relo is a um, is a veteran cause, a 501c3 charity. And uh, what it does uh, is it, it supports the right hiring, the right hiring of veterans. Instead of making a, a hiring a veteran, you know, about dotting an I or crossing a T, which is what so many, uh, you know, DNI initiatives are, are really, in fact, about. This is about giving a, have, developing an understanding of the qualities, the skills, and the character our veterans have and helping organizations take advantage of it to the greatest extent possible. A really wise man talked about how Project Relo has created a battle plan to ensure that companies can win in the war on talent. I I can't remember who that was. His name might have been Bob. Maybe Bob Evans. Uh, and, uh, couldn't have been. And, and that's what we do. And what we do uh, in pursuit of that is so cool. So here's what we do, folks. We, we take senior executives and we teach them leadership. Does that sound interesting? Maybe not. Here's how. And it's the how that gets interesting. We have partnered with the United States Army and the Department of Defense. And we teach leadership while conducting a multi-day field exercise on military bases in training areas doing a pseudo-military operation and we use military veterans and transitioning military members as the instructors and so while these executives that really set the tone for right hiring an organization are learning leadership they're learning it from the very uh, from members of the very group of people that want to get right hired into the, the organizations that those executives represent. And so that's what Project Relo does. It's a really great cause. It's a super sexy delivery mechanism. And that is also what use up, uses up all my uh, free time. Christian, you know that thing that you touched on in the middle there about the war for talent today. And if I could just you know probe a little deeper on that, having been on one of those exercises with you, the point that you talked about when we were first discussing Project Relo, you said it's almost like not a failure to communicate, but a failure to communicate properly or effectively because so many of the transitioning military veterans have an incredible range of skills, yet sometimes when it comes to articulating those to the private sector, the words or the the shaping of the experiences are couched in terms that are relevant in the military field, much more so the business. So there could be some jargon and so on. So it often just was not clearly perceived by business people just how extraordinary the experiences are, the excellence of the background, the knowledge and capabilities, everything from supply chain to logistics to leadership and hiring people and you know moving into new areas. So that just really hit me there. And when we got the chance to talk to some of those transitioning military veterans, and being able to offer a little bit of insight, well, hey, you're saying this over here, but actually in the business world, every company on the planet is dying to have people who can do what you do. You just have to talk about it a little bit differently. So that education that you're doing for the transitioning military vets, as well as for the business execs to see this talent pool in the way it should be done, that has to be you know, really rewarding for you. It is rewarding, and it's rewarding on both sides of the fence. Because let's go back to the very beginning of our conversation. Yeah. The Clausewitz quote, you know, no plan survives that first contact. That's, that's dealing with intent. That's understanding how to be truly nimble 
and, you know, sort of aggressively pursue opportunities. That's what that quote is about. And as we're hiring men and women into our organizations, do we not need that skill set above all else? Yeah. And, and if that's true, why do we continue to favor the hard skills over that fundamental critical soft skill? Hire for those soft skills and get the hard results. That's, that's the method. That's the message here. And our method is kind of a, a unique method of, of conveying that perspective. But, you know, there, if organizational nimbleness and an ability to deal with, you know, the adversity associated with change is something that you're serious about in your organizations, then I, I, anybody that's listening to this, uh, you know, please reach out to me. I can help you find some incredible uh, men and women that will be great assets to your organization. Chris, you know, along those lines, I, I just wanted to circle back to one thing you've talked about here, and says this issue of trust. So two of the most successful high growth companies in the world right now, Microsoft and Salesforce, and both the CEOs of both companies talk endlessly about how trust is the number one element within their brand. It's, it's the number one quality that they need to have and foster and sustain and grow with their customers. So you see that out in the business world all over and the CEOs aren't saying it just to do a checkbox. And on that mission a couple of years ago with you at Project Reload, there was one night after a pretty grueling, interesting, physically challenging day that opened our eyes to a lot of things about, you know, how people interact in different situations. You were doing a sort of overview of the day around the campfire. And I remember as you were talking about this notion of trust and how ultimately everything sort of leads back to that and is amplified by that. I remember that was the, the quietest, a very talkative group of people could possibly have been. But because I think you were opening everybody's eyes to this notion, everybody talks about trust, but what's the right way to articulate it? And how can you show somebody that this really matters? So would you just talk a little bit more about that sense of trust, both from the UL side and leadership and into this world of high change that the digital economy is taking us? Wow, that's a separate podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, you 20 words for this one. Well, I'll tell you, so, you know, these great, and I mean great leaders like Satya Nadella for, for Microsoft, I think you use Microsoft as an example, yeah. they, they know what they're talking about. Trust is absolutely critical for organizations. And, you know, here's the thing, you can't, you can't mandate in trust and you sure as, sure as heck can't buy it. So we, we, as organizations, we have to be very conscious of the fact of how is trust formed and in the formation of it, how do you make it lasting? How do you preserve and protect it, right? And in in a UL's case, I'll speak in UL's case. It's got a a long legacy of saying a thing and always acting in that way, right? It's it, so it it this is what we're about, and it very very clearly models the behavior. So you hear it and you see it. So it's walk the walk and it's talk to talk. That builds trust because there's consistency. Here's another thing that builds trust: is transparency. What is it that you actually do? What are you doing well? What did you maybe not do so well? This is hard, right? Yeah. Right out. Yeah. Come out of the gate. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, we didn't really do that one that well. That was uh, less than our expectation. And yet our expectation is unwavering and we will do better. Being transparent is critical in the formation of trust, right? And between that, that modeling, that, that walking the walk and talking the talk, that, that transparency, Having something, doing something that people believe is sort of important engenders trust as well. And, and so UL has that, that trifecta. 
right? We, we do something that's critically important. We have this legacy and this, this history of, of integrity and ethics above all else, and, and we protect it. And, and if, if a mistake were ever made, we, are, we will announce it because we will also be transparent. You know, organizations have to act that way. Uh, I think it's increasingly important. And I, look, it, when it comes down to people, teams don't work without trust. Trust is the ultimate force multiplier. And I'm serious when I say this, is a, this could be a separate podcast and not that you ever want to talk to me again after this, Bob. But if you <laughs> yeah. did... I'd love to just have a, a sidebar, you know, we, we could talk okay. about this, this trust topic because it is the most important thing and it is the first thing that we sell short all the time. And, it, and, it, and it's really sad because our organizations, our teams, and, and candidly, individuals suffer for the lack of trust that we have in, 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 in our lives. Christian, very powerful stuff. And I, I think when you said, you know, you, you can't mandate it, you sure as heck can't buy it. And I, I don't mean in any way to trivialize what you were saying there because it's so powerful, but in a way it, it reminds me uh, of that t-shirt where uh, I, I saw that somebody says the beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Cause you can go, you know, somebody go around and scream, you know, trust, trust me. I got your uh, best interests at heart. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's got to be got to be earned. Sometimes you know, blood, sweat, and tears uh, often is the case. Hey, can I take a real quick sharp, sharp, hard right? You just talked yeah. about a T-shirt. I saw a T-shirt that was so hilarious to me. It said, <laughs> "My wife says I'm condescending." Nice big letters, and underneath it, in small print, it says, "That means I talk down to people." <laughs> I'm like, that is, that's, that's funny. I actually laughed. I saw the shirt. How often do you see a t-shirt and actually laugh out loud? I actually, held on that one. It was, it was hilarious. Well, as you and I both being fathers of daughters, I saw one recently. It said, guns don't kill people. Fathers of daughters kill people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can, sadly, I, I can relate. <laughs> Kristen, if you have a, a, another sharp right turn on anything that, that you want to talk about here, love your perspectives on things, anything you want to be sure to touch on before we wrap? I think we covered it. If anybody wants to learn more about Project Relo, go to projectrelo, R-E-L-O dot org uh, and, uh, and look us up. Send us an email. Uh, both myself and our president and executive director will you know, look at and respond to everybody that uh, reaches out to us. We got a number of really fascinating things that we're doing, including expanding into a broad channel communication platform, uh, Vet Talks. You can kind of imagine wow. what that is modeled after. Nice. <laughs> and uh, and then we have this super secret uh, Project Alpha thing that uh, we're going to be doing. I, you and I should probably talk about that off, offline. But learn more about Project Relo. Really think about right hiring people for uh, just in general, right? Hire at the right level in general. And, and really, really, folks, we need to consider soft skills as critically important and stop this endless sort of checkbox, you know, who's got the hard skills and whatnot. Let's, let's get to the root of character in our interviews and let's make sure we hire the very best men and women we can, period, regardless of who they are, where they come from or, and whatnot. And that's how I would end it, Bob. It's always a pleasure uh, to chat with you. I enjoy our conversations immensely. And thank you for allowing me to be here. Christian, this has been a, a great conversation. Thanks so much for your time and insights. My pleasure. Thank you. I also want to be sure many thanks to all of you listeners for joining us here on Cloud Wars Live, where we explore the unfolding adventures of digital transformation, cloud computing, and how those are profoundly changing how we live, work, play, learn, and experience the world. 
I hope you'll join us for other episodes of Cloud Wars Live. And please share your feedback with me at bobevanspa at gmail.com. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.